All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Acts. In this recording, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. And in this section, we're still in the middle of the second missionary journey. Just some general details about the second journey. The date for that is like late uh, AD 50 through 54, somewhere in there in that four-year span. And the geographical focus of the second missionary journey is Macedonia and Greece. If you recall on the first journey, the focus was Cyprus and Galatia. Paul wanted to go into Asia on the second missionary journey, which is the next kind of western section over from uh, Galatia, but the spirit of Jesus didn't permit him to do that. So then he tried to go north to Bithynia, but once again, the spirit didn't permit him to do that. And so Paul found himself in the city of Troas on the northwestern coast of what is now modern-day Turkey. And there he received a vision or a dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And so Paul and his team uh, concluded that God was calling them to Macedonia. And so the next morning, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, if you recall that there in Troas, Luke joined Paul's team and they all sailed from Troas to Macedonia. Well, the first scene uh, on the second journey that really is kind of new territory for Paul is the city of Philippi, and that's a Roman colony. And Paul and Silas were beaten and treated shamefully there. That's the way Paul describes it in his letter to the Thessalonians. Nevertheless, the gospel still prevailed in Philippi, and the church at Philippi began. And they were really one of Paul's most supportive churches uh, for his ministry. The letter to the Philippians was written about a decade after Paul started that church, and he just talks about their partnership in the gospel from the first day until the time he wrote that letter. Well, at this point in Acts chapter 17, they have left the city of Philippi, and they head southwest, and they're going to end up at Thessalonica. It seems that Luke stays behind in Philippi, the we sections that indicates he's with the team, conclude at Philippi, and they pick up again a handful of years later in Philippi. So it seems that Luke settles down in Philippi and kind of is going to help lead the church and ground the church there in the city of Philippi. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy head southwest uh, from Philippi, and they're eventually going to end up at the city of Thessalonica. Here's the way it unfolds. Acts 17 verse 1 reads, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. We're not exactly sure why, but it sounds as if Paul really didn't spend much time at all in Amphipolis or Apollonia. He traveled through them, Luke says there in verse 1, to get to Thessalonica. And the reason it says he wanted to get to Thessalonica is there is a synagogue of the Jews. That seems to suggest that Paul didn't want to spend time in Amphipolis or Apollonia because there was no synagogue. Maybe that's the case. Uh, we don't know for sure. But certainly in Thessalonica, there was a good population of Jews. And uh, probably the rationale for this is that you know Paul had spent some time in Philippi, and though the gospel prevailed, and the church was grounded there. There wasn't a strong Jewish presence. Uh, the Jews were treated with a certain amount of suspicion and maybe even hostility in 
Philippi, and it really made things rather rough for Paul there in the city of Philippi. So he travels through Amphipolis and Apollonia until he comes to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is not like an insignificant city. In fact, it's a very prominent city. It's the capital of Macedonia, the Roman provincial capital. Um, we don't know the exact population numbers, and estimates range anywhere from 50,000 to 100,000 to more than that. And so it was a large, populous, and important city in Macedonia. It's about 100 miles from Philippi by road to Thessalonica. The road that you would travel would be the well-known Via Ignatia, the Ignatian Way, which is the uh, east-west uh, highway through Macedonia from the eastern coast to the western coast, and it kind of dips southwest here down into Thessalonica and then on across to the west coast. And since Thessalonica was the seat of the Roman government, the capital of Macedonia, it dominated Macedonian government, it dominated Macedonian commerce, it had a very strong uh, loyalty to Rome and to the emperor. In fact, they had a a temple dedicated to the emperor from the time of Augustus. And so there's a strong imperial presence and loyalty here in Thessalonica. And as Luke notes here, that there's also a synagogue. So there's a fairly strong Jewish presence. And verse 2 says, And according to Paul's custom, he visited them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scripture. So because there's a good a solid Jewish presence. There's at least one synagogue. Evidence suggests there might even be more than one synagogue in Paul's day in Thessalonica. It's a little bit of a challenge because there's actually a modern city called Thessaloniki right there. And so it hinders a lot of archaeological work. But there's a strong Jewish presence in Thessalonica. And Paul followed his usual pattern and he starts in the synagogue. So he visits them and it says for three Sabbaths. In other words, for three weeks, he would visit the synagogues and he would, uh, he would argue from the scriptures, reason from the scriptures, explaining, it says in verse three, and giving evidence that the Messiah, the Christ, had to suffer and rise again from the dead saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. In other words, Luke's summary here is saying that Paul's helping the Jews see reasoning and debating and dialoguing and discussing using the scriptures to help them see that indeed Jesus is the Messiah. The meaning of the word Christ is Messiah. And so he's trying to help these Jews realize that their promises have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus and that the Messiah has now come. And the real stumbling block to that, as implied here, is the fact that Jesus died on a cross. In the Corinthian letter, Paul refers to Jesus' death on a cross as a stumbling block for the Jews. In Galatians 3, he talks about how, quoting Deuteronomy, how cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree and Jesus was hung on a cross. Therefore, it would seem like he was under God's curse. And so the fact of Jesus' death, and particularly death by crucifixion, was really a stumbling block to the Jews. And so Paul is giving evidence from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah wasn't going to be this 
supremely, you know, successful reigning king, that he was going to suffer and that he was going to rise from the dead. And so Paul's going back through those Old Testament promises and Old Testament prophecies, helping them see that uh, suffering and death awaited the Messiah and resurrection then would follow and resurrection was God's vindication of him. All this happened to Jesus and thus Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So he's arguing and debating and dialoguing with the Jews there in Thessalonica. Now, we know from 1 Thessalonians, that uh, this isn't the only time he preached or the only people he preached to, because 1 Thessalonians tells us that a good percentage of these people actually were idol-worshiping pagans prior to becoming believers. And so Luke focuses on Paul's ministry in the synagogues, but there was more ministry than just that that happened. And so on the Sabbath, he's going to the synagogues. During the week, he's preaching to uh, Gentiles and seeking to bring them all to faith in Jesus. Well, here in the synagogue, this is the way Luke reports it in Acts 17, verse 4. He says, and some of them were persuaded by Paul's evidence and Paul showing them from the scriptures. Some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a significant number of leading women. And so some Jews believed and joined Paul and Silas, a large number of God-fearing Greeks, so God-fearers who were participating in the synagogue, attached in some way to the synagogue, and a significant number of leading women, so influential, prominent women in the city, uh, joined the ranks of believers in Jesus as well there in Thessalonica. The mention of leading women is interesting because it actually accords well with what we know of the role of women in Macedonia, that Macedonian women were known for their independence, for their enterprising spirit, for uh, rising to positions of influence and prominence. And so some of those prominent women believed in Jesus as well through the preaching of Paul. Well, the result of that was those Jews who didn't believe once again took issue with Paul and the preaching of Jesus. So verse 5, But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason and were seeking to bring them out to the people. Let's just clarify a few things there. Notice it's Jews, once again in conjunction with Gentiles. This time the Gentiles are wicked men from the marketplace. The marketplace is town center. They found some, we don't know exactly what kind of wicked men, but some you know, people that they felt could be useful and influential in their case. And so they grabbed some wicked men and they started a riot basically in the city and got the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason uh, presumably because Jason was Paul's host in the city. And so they go to Jason's house and they're seeking to bring out uh, Paul and Silas and perhaps Timothy along with them at, at Jason's house. But they didn't find him there, verse 6. When they didn't find them, and so they go to Jason's house, attack the house, they don't find Paul and Silas there. They began dragging Jason and some brothers before the city authorities. And so they grab Jason and some other believers in Jesus, and they bring them before the city authorities. Notice that phrase, city authorities. In Greek, it is uh, the, the word, at least the, the root word is polytarch. And this is actually one of those places where Luke's accuracy over time was vindicated. Uh, 
some critical scholars a, a number of years ago questioned Luke's accuracy by using this word polytarch because it's the combination of two words, city and ruler. Basically saying, look, that's just a general title. Um, we have no evidence that was the title of the city rulers in the first century in this region. And uh, there was some evidence that maybe from later time period that they used it that, but not from the first century. And, and thus, whoever wrote this couldn't have been a first century writer and couldn't have been uh, well informed. And that all sounded good until more archaeological work was done. And they started finding inscriptions in Thessalonica and some of the surrounding cities in Macedonia, where indeed the local city government, the city rulers, were actually just called city rulers, polytarchs. In Thessalonica, it was usually five, sometimes six city rulers. Um, there's well over 30 inscriptions now that verify that this is indeed what the local city rulers uh, were called, the polytarchs. And so they brought Jason and some fellow Christians before the city rulers, the polytarchs, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And so they bring charges against Paul and Silas and Jason for being his host. Notice the charges. They describe Paul and Silas and his team uh, as men who have upset the world. This isn't just meaning they're troublemakers. This is a serious crime of disturbing once again the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the stability of the Roman Empire. And they're basically accusing them of saying they've, they've done this all throughout the world, meaning the Roman world, the Roman Empire. And there's reports of obviously them doing that at Philippi, and there's been reports elsewhere. And so they're just simply saying these people are a threat to the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and they've come here. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all, Paul and his team, believers in Jesus, they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. In other words, they're going against Caesar's decree um, by saying that Jesus is king, in contrast to Caesar. Either you're going to say Caesar is Lord, or you're going to say Jesus is Lord, right? That's the issue, and it seems like they may be alluding to this uh, a decree of Caesar that outlawed using any sort of fortune telling to predict a change in government. That decree was recently re-emphasized uh, by Claudius, the current emperor, making sure it would be enforced. Thessalonica has this strong loyalty to Rome and to the emperor, and so this is this has a lot of popular appeal and. That may be the very decree that they're, uh, they're alluding to here by saying they're uh, acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Verse 8, they stirred up the crowd and the polytarchs, the city authorities, who heard these things. And so they stirred up a lot of emotion. They got people kind of worked up over these things. Uh, they didn't have Paul and Silas there, but they had Jason as host. And so verse 9, when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. And so... Um, the pledge doesn't just mean, on my honor, I pledge that they'll do well. It means they paid them money. Basically, they paid them uh, a certain amount of money to, to ensure that Paul and his team would be on their best behavior, would not start a riot in the city, would perhaps maybe even leave the city. Bare minimum, it put Paul and his team in a difficult spot because though they may not have been trying to upset and create a riot, uh, it could happen. And so 
really the short end of it is if they're going to honor Jason and not create more trouble for him, it's really best for Paul and his team to leave the city. And so that's what happens next. So Paul and his team traveled from Philippi down to Thessalonica. They had some ministry there for at least three weeks. It was probably a little longer. Luke is just summarizing kind of the primary focus of it, but they were only there for a short time. And from there, then, they're going to go uh, to another city, the city of Berea, which is about 50 miles south. And it's off the highway. The highway, Ignatian Way, continues to the west. This is off the Ignatian Way. Berea is down south. And so they kind of move to a smaller town off the beaten path down to Berea. And here's what happens, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. It's possible that Timothy stays behind in Thessalonica. It's not clear because he's mentioned a little bit later in verse 14. And yet, uh, from what we gather in 1 Thessalonians, Timothy did do some work in Thessalonica after Paul left, before he rejoined Paul down in Corinth. And so, at least Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica. Maybe Timothy did as well, and then eventually traveled back there at some point. So the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And so Paul and Silas are escorted out of the city. They're going to travel the 50 miles down the road to Berea. Once again, there's a Jewish population there, and they begin meeting in the synagogue of the Jews. And how did the Jewish believers in Berea respond to Paul's teaching and preaching? Well, look at verse 11. Now, these people, the Jews there in Berea, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So the Bereans welcomed Paul's teaching much more nobly, it says, than those in Thessalonica. Uh, that word translated noble or noble-minded in this translation, uh, the basic meaning of it is of noble birth or of good birth. But then it comes to have that idea of those who kind of have noble, noble character or noble-minded. They're refined people who are willing to think things through and consider uh, things. And that's what they're doing here. They're receiving the word in a noble-minded sort of way, more so than those in Thessalonica. It says that they received the word with eagerness. They, they received Paul's teaching with eagerness. Um, and how did they do that? Well, they examined the scriptures daily, not just every now and then, but daily. Looking back through what Paul said, looking at those scriptures, listening to what Paul was teaching, and they examined them and they reasoned with Paul and they asked questions daily to see whether what Paul was teaching was actually the case, was, was really true or not. Therefore, verse 12, many of them believed. Um, so there was a good response to Berea in Berea, and a good number of them believed, along with a significant number of prominent Greek women and men. And so you've got Jews who believed, a significant number of them. You've got a significant number of, again, prominent Greek women and men. So you get a good variety of people there in Berea. Now, we don't know a whole lot of what happens in Berea after this. Uh, there's not a letter of Paul written back to the church at Berea anywhere in the New Testament. So we really don't have 
uh, any kind of major understanding of the church in the New Testament about these people. But it sounds like from the get-go, they were eager to study the scriptures, and there was a good collection of both Jews and influential men and women that became part of the church there in Berea. Well, when the Jews at Thessalonica heard this, guess what? So look at verse 13. When the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, just like we saw on the first journey, when they came from Antioch and Iconium to Lystra, well, they came from Thessalonica uh, to Berea. They came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And so they made the trip. Um, And why would they do that? Well, for the same reason Paul persecuted Christians way back in the day. Why? Because in their mind, they're teaching falsehood. They're teaching blasphemy. And so in their religious zeal, they make this trip from Thessalonica to Berea, and they're going to try to oppose Paul and his team. And so they they were stirring up the crowds. And so once again, it was necessary for Paul to leave. Verse 14, that immediately the brothers there in Berea sent Paul out as far as the sea and Silas and Timothy remained there. And so they send Paul off. Uh, Berea is about 25 miles inland. And so they they send Paul out to sea, you know, a couple days trip to get to sea. Um, And once they got to a harbor town, Paul would take a ship and he's going to sail down to Athens. But Silas and Timothy remain behind in Macedonia, working with the church in Berea, working with the church in Thessalonica, helping them get established and grounded for a time while Paul heads south. And then eventually Silas and Timothy are supposed to join Paul down south. And so verse 15, now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And so there was some of the people that left Berea actually sailed with Paul all the way to Athens to make sure he he made it there safely. And so they traveled with him just for uh, safety, protection, and all of that, and got him to Athens. And then having received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as they could, they left and went back home. And so Paul's escorted out to the harbor, joins a ship. Some of the members of the church there sailed with him to Athens. Paul's going to spend some time in Athens and doing ministry there. And he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to come when they feel like they're ready to leave Thessalonica and Berea and join Paul down south. All right, now, before we leave this section, let me just offer just a couple reflections. First is this. Remember how Paul's second missionary journey, or at least his trip to Macedonia, began. It began with a vision in the night of a man calling them over here, come over and help us. And so they concluded God was calling them to Macedonia. And yet, so far, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't gone smoothly. He was treated shamefully and beaten and put in jail in Philippi. He's been chased out of Thessalonica, and his host has had to pay money to ensure good behavior and to make sure he keeps the peace. Now those people, those opponents from Thessalonica, have come to Berea and chased him out of Berea, and so he's sailed now down to Athens, and it just hasn't gone very smooth. And it reminds us that that just because God calls us to some sort of ministry doesn't mean things are going to go easy with that ministry. It certainly isn't the case for Paul here. In fact, we will see that it doesn't go necessarily smoothly in Athens, and it's difficult in Corinth. And so, so much of the second journey is fraught with difficulty for Paul, even though it's clearly what God called him and his team to do. 
I think that's important for us to remember. Uh, the second thing I just want to reflect on is the emphasis in these two little snapshots, Thessalonica and Berea, on Paul studying the scriptures with the Jews, reasoning with them, giving evidence with them, all of that, explaining uh, people being persuaded, the Bereans uh, studying the scriptures to see if these things were true. All of that helps us remember that when we are preaching the gospel and calling people to faith in Jesus, we're not calling them to a private religious experience, and we're not calling them to just some sort of moral code. We're calling them to uh, the truth. Uh, is this true or not? We're wanting to give evidence that these things are so. We're wanting to help them understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that God raised him from the dead, and that there is a historical, observable truth component to preaching the gospel, not merely a private, personal, religious experience thing, not merely a even forgiveness of sins thing. It's about Jesus being the Messiah, Lord and Master, Lord and King, risen from the dead. Paul called people to that. And for some, they were persuaded and believed. Others opposed that and thus opposed Paul. But the focus of it was calling people to the truth about Jesus.